now, the one who protects us all from prattling prognosticators and perfidious pundits. I say, America, stay out the bushes. Look for the union labels. And to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the government. From my cold, dead hands. I'm concerned that if we don't impeach this president, he will get reelected. It's time for the Alan Nathan Show. Here he is, the longest-running nationally syndicated centrist host in the country, Alan Nathan. Welcome, one and all, to the Alan Nathan Show, where we want the Republicans out of our bedrooms, the Democrats out of our wallets, and both out of our First and Second Amendment rights. I'm John Hayward, Deputy National Security Editor for Breitbart News, sitting in for Alan today. One of the things that we've been watching with growing alarm is the growing influence of China around the world. The Chinese government is not content to just sit on whatever it's doing inside its own borders. It uses its money, its power, its economic influence to reach out tentacles around the globe and influence the behavior of other countries to monitor the diaspora of Chinese people who move to other countries. You might be Chinese, you might move to New York, but the Chinese government could be right behind you, even if you think you've left them behind. And they're putting a disturbing emphasis on keeping track of people with various secret operations that have been coming to light one after the other. Uh, one such story is that China has been running hundreds of quote-unquote police stations around the world, which are, for all intents and purposes, espionage operations. They're, they're little outposts of the Chinese police in cities in the U.S. and Canada and in England, all across the world. And from those police stations, the Chinese are monitoring the activities of citizens of China who have relocated to other countries. Here with us to talk about it is Nan Su, senior investigative reporter for the Epoch Times. Welcome to the show. Oh, hi. Uh, thank you, John, for having me today. Oh, it's a, it's a pleasure. Now, I had just read the other day that a couple of Chinese police stations were discovered in Canada, and now it seems that we have a few new ones that have been found in the United States as well. Uh, yes, uh, that was uh, actually an investigation done by <clears throat> a Spain-based NGO uh, called Safeguard Defender. They found that, you know, over, all, all around the world, you know, more, uh, about 53 countries, the Chinese uh, Communist Party have their police authority established uh, this kind of like a police uh, outpost station. And so far, based on the uh, report, you know, we, we only saw a part, a part of the report that, that was released. So far, we know, you know there were a couple, a few of them in Canada and one in New York and, and latest the two found in Los Angeles, and the uh, FBI already conducted search uh, in the New York uh, outpost. Uh, uh, we don't know uh, if the FBI is going to do anything to the two uh, police outpost uh, office in Los Angeles yet. What kind of activities do the FBI and the Canadian government and others suspect were happening out of these police stations? What were these folks doing? Uh, well, basically, you know, first of all, all these uh, uh, so-called outpost stations, they, they, they were established without any agreement, you know, between Chinese government and all these countries. Uh, there's no, no agreement at all. And they just went ahead, they, they just established these uh, offices. And then what they're doing is, number one, they help, they, uh, they help espionage. And they help to uh, create uh, uh, disinformation against the free world, like against the United States, of course, uh, help the infiltration of the Chinese Communist regime into the local societies of these countries. And they also, uh, a, a very important part of their job is they have sent the tens of thousands of Chinese people who already left the China left China and living in these different countries, uh, they have sent them home because the Chinese communist regime wants something from these people. So basically, they will knock your door. Basically, they will tell you, say, hey, you better cooperate uh, with Chinese government and to go back to China to help them do certain, certain things. If you don't do it, then your parents, maybe your mom, your relatives is going to be in trouble. 
I've never heard of anything like this before from any other country. Now, you know, the FBI, for instance, might have a joint office in another country and they work on terrorism or something, but I've never heard of a national police force just opening stations in other countries without the permission or consent of the host government and then just monitoring their people. I guess the closest I've heard of anything like that might be Turkey. Turkey has a habit of following its citizens very closely when they move abroad and, and sometimes hassling them, but that's nothing on the scale to what China's doing. Well, that is true. I mean, you know, uh, it, it's all happened because uh, the entire Western world had such kind of a rosy picture about the future of the Chinese Communist regime, and then we have been thinking, oh, you know, after we make China weaker, you know, uh, China, maybe someday they will change their mind, they will change it from uh, a dictator, hardline regime to a, a part of a democratic world. So we welcome them, we open our society, we let them do whatever they want to do here, and they are just taking advantage from us. And it is a, an unfortunate imbalance because China would never let us do this there. there China would never let, you know, the oh, U.S. just open up police stations on its soil or anybody else. Well, they will, they, you know, think about all these uh, uh, reporters from, all, from the uh, Western countries. They, they often being deported, you know, uh, <laughs> sent back to their home country only because they, they just report some, you know, true stories about China. Has the Chinese government been confronted about these police stations, and what was their response if they were? I think that really depends on what our government is going to do. Uh, FBI already conducted a search, you know, in New York. Uh, that office was closed. Now, we don't know uh, if FBI are going to do anything to the two offices in Los Angeles yet. I'm hoping they're going to do something soon. Now, think about this. All these years, it, you know, that the China has done to the Western world, they're not, they, they, they don't stay in their own borders. Think about NBA. What's the NBA reaction to Hong Kong? What happened? And, and think about all the other all the bigger U.S. corporations that's in China, like Cisco helping China to build, you know, the firewall all around China to prevent the free information uh, in and out of China. And think about, you know, uh, all, you know, they come into the Western world, uh, you know, doing... You know, one thing I do want to mention is China's so-called military civil integration program. And think about that, you know, uh, China started uh, using that program uh, back in 2015. Now, uh it's a totally different way uh, than the United States. See, here, we, at the United States, we do have a so-called military civil integration program. Basically, we take the technology used for military purpose than used for commercial projects. That's the way it is. China is totally different around uh, because, uh, you know, they don't have a very advanced uh, military technology. But what they do in this military civil integration program is that they use the universities and research institutions in China to make a collaboration with the Western co corporations or universities or research institutions to get the technology from us, and then they will take those technology back to China used for military purpose. So we have been allowed them doing all these things all this year along. I don't think a lot of people understand that, as you just laid it out. They think of our government and how our government works with corporations, and you may have contracts with the military, and maybe in an espionage case, the FBI might come to your corporation and ask you some questions, what have you. But in China, there really isn't any such thing as an independent business. That's a fiction. And in truth, every Chinese concern, every operation conducted by anybody in China is legally obligated to cooperate without question with the People's Liberation Army and to not uh, alert anyone that they're doing so. The PLA can just walk into any Chinese business and say, you work for us here, put the spyware on, on American computers, and they would just do it. Like, they're legally obligated to comply, and if they even raise a peep about it, they're, they're in big trouble. They're, they're probably going to disappear in the middle of the night. That's true, and that's not only happening to the Chinese business. And it's, in the future, I don't know how it's going to impact all the U.S. business that's to. U.S. corporations doing business in China now. 
China passed um, a so-called uh, anti-sanction law back in uh, 2021. You know, uh, they have anti-sanction law, meaning basically they say if any Western countries sanction China for for whatever the reason, like uh, human rights violations or whatever the reason, then China will have anti-sanction. You know activities, and once the Chinese government wants to do these activities, that all the foreign business, like Tesla, like Apple, they have to do. They have to follow the Chinese government's step to do the same thing. It, it is a level of integration that we wouldn't see here, and a level of compulsion that we wouldn't see here, and that is something to bear in mind. I wish more of our globalist corporations would keep it in mind as they deal with Chinese businesses. Nan Su, senior investigative reporter for the Epoch Times, thanks very much for joining us. I'm John Hayward, your guest host today. We will be right back with more of the Alan Nathan Show. This message is provided by Beringer Ingelheim. Idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis, or IPF, is one of the more common forms of progressive fibrosing interstitial lung diseases with symptoms including breathlessness during activity, a dry and persistent cough, chest discomfort, fatigue, and weakness. There are more than 200 lung disorders that can lead to pulmonary fibrosis, an irreversible scarring of lungs that can negatively impact lung function, quality of life, and may become life-threatening. While approved treatments for people living with these diseases can help slow disease progression, new therapies are needed to help potentially stop progression. Fortunately, there is new research underway to assess the safety and efficacy of an investigational treatment in patients with IPF and other progressive ILDs. This is part of Beringer Ingelheim's Phase 3 Global Fibronir program. To learn more about Fibronir and eligibility requirements, visit fibronir-ipf.longboat.com and fibronir-ild.longboat.com. This is sponsored by IBM. Job seekers, students, and career changers want to pursue roles in science, technology, engineering, and math, but aren't familiar with career options. At the same time, online training and digital credentials are emerging as a recognized pathway to opportunity. Misconceptions about the cost of training and what's required are often roadblocks to success. To tackle this and bring STEM education closer to underrepresented communities, IBM SkillsBuild is announcing 45 new educational partners. IBM SkillsBuild is a free education program focused on underrepresented communities in tech, helping all develop valuable new skills and access to career opportunities. Justina Nixon St. Till, IBM Chief Impact Officer. Technology training can have a transformational effect on a person's life. IBM is committed to raising awareness of the many roles that exist across industries in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. IBM Skills Build continues to grow with new partners around the world, working together to scale 30 million people by 2030. For more, skillsbuild.org. Hey, what's up, everybody? I'm Jason Derulo. I love that music connects to people all over the country. But unfortunately, so does something else. Childhood hunger. 15 million kids struggle with hunger right here in America. And yet, every year, billions of pounds of surplus food in the U.S. go to waste instead of going to the children in need. Feeding America is working to change this. The Feeding America nationwide network of food banks rescues this surplus of food to help provide meals to families in virtually every community in the United States including yours, but they just can't do this alone. Join me in the fight against hunger in America. For more information on what you can do to get involved, visit feedingamerica.org. That's feedingamerica.org. Together we can solve hunger. Together we're feeding America. A message from Feeding America and the Ad Council. What is dedication? I am the father of a nine-year-old little girl and a six-year-old little boy. And I find fatherhood both relentlessly challenging and relentlessly rewarding. My daughter is biological and my son is adopted. I love them both so much. From the morning when you wake up to putting them to bed at night and every moment in between, it really is so special. And boy, is it exhausting. One thing that I fear about being a parent is the future for my children. I think a parent's job is to protect our children, but also prepare them for the world so they become good, kind human beings. But I'm also hopeful that the future holds a more inclusive and compassionate world for them. 
That's dedication. Find out more at fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Welcome back to the Alan Nathan Show. I'm your guest host, John Hayward, Deputy National Security Editor for Breitbart News. You can find my work at Breitbart.com, and you can find me on Twitter at DOC underscore zero. Well, the left-wing culture is up in arms, their latest heart failure of the week, over something called trad wives. What, you may ask, is a trad wife? You may frown in suspicion at the sound of that and think it sounds like Orwellian newspeak, and you would be right. That is exactly what it is, or that's why we're talking about this. Trad wives are this movement, so to speak, and we're not talking about a lot of people here. You know, it's not a, not a huge deal as, the, as some of the media is making it out to be. But there are basically some young women who are going on TikTok, which is a site where people post little short videos that they make, and they they dress up like uh, you know, like Leave It to Beaver. They dress up like the old fifties uh, housewives. They dress up like uh, you know, the the times of your uh, Ozzie and Harriet, and they talk about how they really like living that way. I guess some of these these women aspire to have such a life. They they want to get married, have kids and live the old 50s lifestyle. Some of them would, would openly say, you know, I watched the old TV shows and I thought, man, they had it pretty good back then. That's, that's what I want to do. I feel it seems like that would be a fulfilling life to devote myself to, to home and children. What's so bad about that? And, uh, you know, again, we're not talking about a lot of people here, but they made these videos and the videos got some views. And now you have people on the left that are absolutely losing their minds. <laughs> there are articles in left-wing papers that act like this is an alien invasion, you know, like the, the future of human humanity is at stake because a, a handful of women are coming to this conclusion and they're they're writing articles about how this is dark and twisted and it's submissive and it's brutish and it's all about the patriarchy uh, coming back and, and reasserting its control so they're, they're just having a conniption and one of the reasons why this is causing a lot of controversy well well you know let's be honest one of the reasons why it's causing controversy is because it's easy it's a bunch of tiktok videos and a couple of tweets from people that don't like them and you you put that in a pot and mix it and boom you have a news story i mean it's it's the easiest kind of lazy journalism in the world to just write about what people are talking about on twitter so that's one of the reasons why you're seeing so many stories about it it's easy but if you want to look a little deeper here the reason why people on the left are so upset about this potential movement is because it undoes something they worked very hard for decades to do the left very assiduously energetically with everything it had threw itself into this project of destroying that old vision of the nuclear family even that phrase we're supposed to snigger when you hear somebody say nuclear family or family values of course you remember that if you're old enough to remember the 80s and 90s and all the the family value stuff and that was like a curse word if you said family values that was an insult it was self-evidently absurd to even say such a thing you, you had to be an idiot if you were talking about family values you're crazy so they they put a lot of effort into destroying that old model of the nuclear family of men and women getting together and having children. And they hated it. I mean, they absolutely hated it. A lot of it was visceral on the part of thought leaders on the left. They were just, some of them were power feminists. They were just nauseated at the idea of women living in this, this kind of life. They, they felt like it was submissive. That's the term you hear from a lot of the writers today dismissing it. If you want to be the Ozzie and Harriet wife, you're basically signing up for slavery and you know, no woman would want to do that. You should focus on your career. On and on and on. There were so many reasons. It tied into sexual liberation. It tied into the abortion movement. Very profitable. Abortion is a huge profit center for the left. A lot of political money flows from that. And they really wanted women to stop thinking, gee, I would like to get married when I'm fairly young and raise a few kids and have a nice big family. I mean, that that was cutting into their profits that, that women were, were acting like that. So they needed to destroy that and replace it with different objectives. The ideal woman of today under left-wing mythology is not Ozzy and Harriet, you it's not leave it to beaver none of that the ideal woman today is single long into her life she's lonely she doesn't like men she relies on the government to take care of her government programs and so on are a major part of her life she spends a lot of time online getting very angry at people who she doesn't think believe the right things or are compassionate the you know you, you know what's going on here you know this this karen stuff and one of the reasons why that was done one of the reasons we were reprogrammed as a society to believe that that was now the highest aspect aspiration of womanhood was because that makes people more dependent on the state. See, the thing about the nuclear family is that it was a power plant. 
nuclear families are nuclear. They generate energy. They generate wealth, generational wealth. If you get married when you are relatively young, and it's a good marriage, and you know it's there are bad ones out there, so let's not uh, let's not say this is a magic formula here. But as a general rule of thumb, if you get married when you are relatively young and you have a nice marriage and you have a couple of kids, you are going to raise a family that is going to get richer as the generations go by. And obviously one way is that you'll leave property to the kids. You'll grow up and you'll build a fortune, you'll have a house and you'll leave all that to the kids. You'll be able to give them material advantages that kids who don't grow up in an intact home with generational wealth will lack. You can give them physical things, car, you can help them get into school. You can give them valuable advantages like networking. I know this would sound a little weird today, but back in the days of yore, back in these times of Ozzy and Harriet, you would go looking for a job and your family name was was actually helpful. Like, you know, your, your dad, your mom, they would help you get hooked up with people for job opportunities. They would recommend you to local businesses. Oh, my son's looking for a job as a, as a grocery assistant. They would hire you. It, it gave you a leg up. It helped you to get started. And it still does today. That still works if you have it. If you have those kind of family advantages, it's a tremendous advantage over the people that don't have them. And because families can do that, they generate this kind of steadily accumulating wealth. They generate property, which is passed down from generations, money. Uh, we have reams of sociological data that kids who come from intact families tend to be happier, more productive, healthier, you name it. There's, there's basically no social index that doesn't go ballistic as soon as you start talking about widespread illegitimacy and kids from single parent households and so on. And that's not a negative reflection on the single parent household. Now, we actually had this discussion some years ago as a society, and you might not remember it because a lot was going on back then, but it was during the re-election campaign of Barack Obama when he was running against Mitt Romney. And Mitt Romney's wife went out there and gave some interviews, and she said how happy she was to be a homemaker and to raise her kids and how fulfilling that life was. And the lefties lost their damn minds. There was a whole couple of news cycles that went on for you know a couple of weeks there where they were just obsessed with how dare Ann Romney say such a thing. Oh, she, she's a lunatic. She's obviously insane. How could anybody want to raise kids and be a homemaker and be a wife, you know, instead of working on their career? How could, how could anybody say such a thing? She, she's obviously insane. And then they turned it into a class warfare attack. And they said, well, that's nice for her to say because she, her husband, Mitt Romney, he's super rich, you know, so she can afford to just stay home and bake cookies and raise the kids and everything and not have to have a career. So they tried to turn it into this, this whole class warfare thing. But the truth was that a generation or two ago in, in the time of my parents, my, my parents' parents, it was not at all uncommon to see a single income household doing very well. The husband out there earning a living, the wife taking care of the house, the kids and everything. That, that was how people got by. That was more the norm than the exception. And now it's, it's impossible to live that way. You really need multiple wage earners in a single family in order to cover the needs, cover the basics for all kinds of reasons, from inflation and costs that have been lumped on us to just more things that people feel like they need to have and to pay for. But I mean, it's really hard that that single income lifestyle, that, that traditional family, the trad wife thing, that, that is something that people think, I couldn't really do that. If I do that, I'll be sacrificing my career, my livelihood. I won't have a job. So it's, it's just harder to do than it used to be. And that is a big problem because human nature, biology, our, our lives has not changed. No matter how many bitterly crazy people may insist otherwise, if you're going to raise a large family, you're going to have to start young. And if you want those kids to have a good life, you're going to need a stable marriage. And if you want the country to be rich and prosperous, it needs a lot of traditional solid nuclear families providing the energy for growth. I'm John Hayward, sitting in for Alan today. We'll be right back with more of The Alan Nathan Show. From NAACP Image Award-nominated author Elise Bryant comes a new rom-com about two teens who overcome misconnections and find their way to love. Reggie and Delilah's Year of Falling follows two people who seemingly have nothing in common. But after a year of chance encounters, begin to think the universe may be telling them something. Dungeons and Dragons-obsessed Reggie and emotionally bottled-up Delilah meet for the first time on New Year's Eve and again on Valentine's Day and on random occasions throughout the year. They're drawn to each other, though they are each too insecure to be their true selves. So what happens once they realize they've each fallen for a version of the other that doesn't really exist? 
Author Elise Bryant. This is a sweet and funny romantic story in which the characters learn to overcome their fears and discover who they truly are. I hope readers enjoy going along on this ride with Reggie and Delilah and maybe learn something about themselves along the way. Reggie and Delilah's Year of Falling is now available wherever books are sold. Not everyone is a morning person, and that's okay. At Burger King, we let you be you and have your morning your way. With a variety of menu items made just for you, satisfy any craving on any morning. Feeling savory today? How about a croissant sandwich? Sizzling sausage, fluffy eggs, and melted American cheese on a toasted croissant. Perfect with hot or iced coffee. Is bacon more your thing? We do that too. Try a bacon, egg, and cheese croissant sandwich with crispy bacon, fluffy eggs, and melted American cheese on a toasted croissant. Try it with an ice cold Coke. Or maybe you're craving something sweet. Then French toast sticks are sure to satisfy. Golden brown, piping hot, and perfect for dipping in a side of sweet syrup. Pair it with a simply orange juice. Why not? It's your morning. Complete your breakfast combo meal with hash browns and a beverage of your choice. Have your breakfast your way. Because morning person or not, you rule. At participating U.S. Burger King restaurants, sponsored by Coca-Cola. You know that feeling? Like every door is closing and you just can't see a way out? Being unemployed, underemployed, or just out of school feels a lot like that. But when you find the right tools, suddenly everything just clicks. Getting on that path may be easier than you think. A good place to start? Go to findsomethingnew.org. At findsomethingnew.org, you have access to resources that help develop new skills. Skills that will position you for careers in today's growing industries. From healthcare and manufacturing to cybersecurity and alternative energy. Plus, you can take advantage of online courses, certification programs, apprenticeships, and more. So you can take yourself from unemployed and uncertain to empowered and prepared for what's next. Find your path to a new career today. Visit findsomethingnew.org. A message from the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. I was in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean when it happened. There was a sudden jolt and our submarine crashed on the seafloor. We were in total darkness. That's Dr. Dejana Figueroa, a marine biologist and STEM teacher, talking about a deep sea dive she'll never forget. It's funny, when I was a kid, I was afraid of the ocean. And there I was, two miles below the surface. But as a scientist, you prepare for that. Using our training and a little creativity, we fixed the sub and finished our experiments. The dive was just too important. Every dive gives us glimpses at things few people ever get to see. Glowing creatures, fiery undersea volcanoes. When we got back to the surface, I kissed the ground and called my mom, of course. But you know what? I wouldn't trade that dive for anything. Dr. Figueroa uses her passion for STEM to discover new things and make the world a better place. She can STEM, so can you. Check out She Can STEM for more stories and inspiration. A message from the Ad Council. Welcome back to the Alan Nathan Show. I'm your guest host today, John Hayward, Deputy National Security Editor of Breitbart News. Well, with the release of much more video footage than we have ever seen before of events that occurred in the Capitol on January 6, 2021, the story of that day has grown much more complicated than the narrative that has been fed to the public and the battle to control public opinion about what happened, who was responsible, who was at fault, and where various balls were dropped is as vicious as ever now that we have more video to look at it. Here with us to talk about January 6th is someone who was there, Nina May, founder 
founder and chairman of the Renaissance Foundation, an international leadership organization in the United States and in the Republic of Korea, a filmmaker, a writer, a commentator, and a contributor to conservative news outlets. Welcome to The Alan Nathan Show. Oh, thank you very much for having me. So you were there on January 6th. You got to witness this whole thing unfold firsthand. And your account of the day is a bit different than the account that has been peddled to us through the media and through the January 6th hearings. Yeah, we were on the outside. I had my film crew with me. That's what we do. We make movies. (laughs) And so we wanted to go and gather some B-roll because we knew that it was going to be an historic day. So we started at Capitol Hill at about 9.30 in the morning, walked all the way to the White House because we knew the president was going to be speaking. His speech was an hour late, and then we could barely hear it. We were on, there were so many people were on the outside edges. We said, well, shoot, we think we heard him say he was going to be going up to the Capitol. And it turns out he actually did say that, but it was a part that they cut out of his speech. We hear the part where he says, um, go up to the, I understand you're going up to the Capitol, but be patriotic and peaceful and da da da. But there was a whole section that they cut out of the speech when they were doing the reporting. So we said, okay, let's go to the Capitol. We'll get a good location. We can figure out pretty much where the podium is going to be. And we're all naive. I mean, everyone even walking back to the Capitol is going, well, gee, I wonder where he's going to be speaking. Is it the back, behind the Capitol, the front side? We have no idea. So we were the first group of people that basically got there exactly where they're saying the scrum took place, this pushing against the bike racks and stuff. There were no bike racks. There were no police guards. There were no signs up saying no trespassing. In fact, within about 50 feet of where they claim that that, um, the pushback against the police and the bike racks was, I have in my film a a policeman just walking casually through the, the grass looking at a cell phone. I'm thinking, well, if this was happening here, he would have... It pro- definitely got involved with it said, oh, my gosh, what's happening here? But here's a ki- the telling sign that you know that it was a setup. If you look behind them, the grass is green. There's not a person on the grass behind where they're, they're, the police are keep, trying to keep these people from going on. It, that place was packed with people by that time. And it was just a couple of bike racks. You know, why would you need bike racks? That's like putting a bike rack on, you know, 20 feet of I-95. You can figure out, okay, I'll go around the bike rack here, around the bike rack there. You would not be struggling with this bike rack. bike rack. And then another video that they showed, and they quickly took it off the air, maybe it was because of something I wrote in one of my columns, was that where we were standing, they showed another tussle with the police with the bike racks. Now, the reason I know that it was filmed at a different time was because when we were there, the scaffolding was up, and it was totally covered with white plastic. When they were doing this little struggle in the same area where we're standing, the scaffolding was half finished. So it was clearly filmed before that day even happened. So there was a lot of inconsistencies like that. Another thing was we never heard any ambulances, never saw any ambulances, no sirens at all, no EMT, you know, emergency vehicles, nothing. And if all hell was breaking loose inside the Capitol, why was it so peaceful outside the Capitol? It just didn't make sense. We had some friends that were on the house side of the Capitol, and they said it was like a party atmosphere over there. They, in fact, the footage that they sent us of them being there, you could hear Michael Jackson's Billie Jean blaring in the background, and people were just partying. A friend of ours was there dressed like Beetlejuice with nine feet arms in the air. But when you looked at their footage, you did not see Beetlejuice there. So that's when we started putting things together, saying there's something wrong with this picture. And again, we make movies. We design sets, we create um, sets for a specific uh, scene that we want to do, and there were too many things that looked just like you were on a movie set, and that you were, like at break time, for example, when the guy with the, um, oh, uh, buffalo, not the horns, but the buffalo bodice, I guess. The guy with the hat, yeah. Not the hat, but the guy was wrapped in buffalo skin. And so we saw him on the streets as we were walking. In fact, I almost got a picture of it, but I was distracted. I thought, well, that's an interesting outfit. I wonder what he's doing. And the next thing we see on TV, when we were back up at the Capitol Hill, we're seeing this guy in the Capitol, and he's sort of doing this little dance for these uh, Capitol Hill police. We're going, there's no way he made it back up there. No way he would be inside the Capitol at this point, because we were right there, and no one was being allowed in the Capitol. They were telling you you couldn't go where we wanted to go on the Senate side. We said, well, we don't want to go in the Capitol anyway, but there were policemen standing there. So I was thinking, how did that guy get in there so quickly? 
unless they had him in there early that morning or the day before, and they were filming some of this stuff. This is the heart of the the counter-narrative, I guess you could say, of January 6th, the the sort of thing you're talking about. We were told, or we've been told, that it was this organized attack, you know, and it was this effort to overthrow the government and so on. And then we keep seeing this information coming out, now the videos that Tucker Carlson has showed, accounts like yours, that say there were some mighty peculiar things happening on that day. And some of these people very clearly seem to have been led astray or misled. And the question is, how deliberate and orchestrated was that? But it, it really exactly. kind of strikes this narrative that it was uh, Donald Trump orchestrating a coup. And that's why the, the timeline is so incredibly important. They claim that the first breach happened at 1253. He didn't even finish his speech until 115. How could he possibly have incited anyone? Oh, by the way, it's a 50 to 55 minute walk from the Capitol or from the White House back up to the Capitol. All hell had broken loose by that time. So you can't say it had to do with anything he said. Nothing he said incited anyone. Because they couldn't have made it back there to do the do the the um, the crashing through or breaking through or whatever they could. Here's something else that the J6 committee did not talk about. As the president is finishing his speech, around that same time, they start shooting. SWAT teams are up on the balcony and they start shooting live, um, what are they called, flashbangs into the crowd and hitting people with yellow bullets. People were screaming for them to stop. It was hurting people. And you could hear people yelling, stop, please stop. And did they ever show that? We got footage of that. And when they, after they finished doing the flashbangs, after about 10 minutes, they suddenly we could see a, a plume of like um, yellow smoke or something. And again, this is against a very peaceful crowd. This crowd was not pushing in. If anything, they were trying to help each other and yelling for the police to stop shooting at them. It was horrific. In fact, one of the people that died, they're, they're positive that it was because he was hit right in the, the chest with a flashbang, and he had a heart attack as a result of that. We saw two people right next to us that were carried out by a crowd of people because they got hit with something. So well, I can't I mean, help but I can't help noticing the media is not curious about these details you're mentioning now. If it, Ordinarily, Nothing. if this had all happened oh, at a yeah. Black Lives Matter riot, they would be bringing out all the people on the street that said, no, 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 this is what really happened. This is what I saw. But it's rare exactly. indeed that you've heard a single peep out of an actual eyewitness to anything that happened oh, on January yeah. 6th. Oh, yeah. No, no. For them, it's like nothing to see. Move along. They've had their little, little show trial. That's over. You know, Liz basically blew that with full of lies and full of holes. And, um, and yeah, it's nothing works. And so if they release this footage, I heard the other day that they've released this footage to, I guess, the the public. We want to be first in line to get it because I'm telling you, it has bugged me for over two years about how what I got and what I saw that day does not match at all what their narrative is. And there are people sitting in jail today that need the truth to come out because it is wrong the way they've been treated. It's just wrong. The footage you're referring to, I think this next drop that we're expecting is thousands more hours of accumulated footage from various cameras and inputs and so on, on top of some 40,000 that's already been released. That's an awful lot to have to go through. It's going to take a huge amount of man hours. Exactly. And that's what we said. And that's why the timeline is so important, because if you can pinpoint, let's say, for example, let's pull up every camera at exactly 1.15 when he finished his speech. Every camera at that time, pull that story together. When they claim that, um, oh, the first breach happened at 1253, pull all those cameras together, get that, that date on the timeline or that time on the, when you're putting it in your editing suite. And you can see quickly what the story is going to be. There, there are so much footage that was shown originally, but then they took it off the air because it was not going to be um, sort of backing up the point that they were going to be making. And uh, one of them was there were these big buses. We saw them, black buses with police escort in front, escort in back, men piling out. They're dressed kind of in black, but not matching black. It's not like a SWAT team. It was more like an Antifa group of people because they're all dressed in black. And they were being escorted by Capitol Hill police up into the Capitol. And this was before anything happened. This was, you know, maybe at around, I don't know, 12, 20 or something like this before anything had happened. And then you've got um, the news that, and I, I don't know his name, it was, it was a young black man that said, burn down this effort. He was signing contracts at 10 that morning with two major networks to get footage of the riots that were going to happen. 10 in that the morning, sounds, they knew riots were going to happen? Interesting. 
it's a busy day for people that were supposedly planning on overthrowing the government because normally coups take a, a lot more work than that. Nina May, founder <laughs> and chairman of the Renaissance Foundation, thank you very much for joining us. I'm your guest host today, John Hayward, sitting in for Alan while he's on assignment. We'll be right back with more of the Alan Nathan Show. The pandemic is just one factor that forced companies to rethink the way they conduct business. In addition to remote employees, companies are uploading more data to the cloud and workers are using a wide variety of apps and devices. As a result, businesses are more susceptible to security breaches than ever before. For 10 years, the open directory platform provider JumpCloud has helped businesses improve security and minimize vulnerability. Security continues to be a top concern for businesses. According to JumpCloud Vice President Eric Brown, organizations need to reconsider their approach. Identity is the new center of IT and the foundation around which all IT infrastructure should be built. That's where we at JumpCloud come in. We help companies and people make work happen with secure, frictionless access to the apps and data they need with an open directory platform designed for identity transformation. To learn how JumpCloud can help your business, visit JumpCloud.com. Vitamin B12 is important for supporting not only our metabolism, but also our energy levels. Our brain and our nerves need certain vitamins like B12 in order to function properly. Even if you're eating all the healthy foods like fruits and vegetables and getting you know great sources of protein, it's sometimes the case that you can become deficient in one or more nutrient, and that's where supplements can be helpful. So if you wanna support your B12 levels, Jaro's Methyl B12 is a great supplement to consider to optimize your B12 levels. This type of B12 is recognized by the body, so it's delivered to your cells more efficiently. It's also been shown that it is a great way to make sure that you're getting a highly absorbed form of vitamin B12 and one that's gonna be retained better than other types of B12. You can learn more at jaro.com. My name is Judy Teeter, and I'm the mother of three boys. My youngest, Joe, was a great kid. He loved sports, music, and his youth group. One day, Joe asked me to drive him to an after-school event, which was about a mile from our home. I was driving through a green light when a car in cross-traffic ran a red light and drove right into the side of our car, killing Joe. The driver was talking on her phone, so she never even saw the red light. She was so absorbed in her phone call. Before the crash, I didn't realize just talking on a cell phone while driving was so dangerous. Now it's something I think about every day. According to the National Safety Council, about one in four car crashes involves a cell phone. Hands-free is no safer. When you're behind the wheel, put away your phone. For Joe and for the thousands of needless deaths every year, remember, there is no safe way to talk on a cell phone while driving. Find out more at nsc.org slash callskill. If you came across someone struggling with hunger, how would you recognize them? By their clothes, their age, the way they speak? Would you notice a 16-year-old boy who got, got his first job, not for extra spending money, but to help feed his little sisters? Or a mother who's in between jobs and sometimes goes to bed hungry so her kids can have dinner? Or a 14-year-old girl who signs up to every after-school activity not to make friends, but just to get something to eat? Or a retiree who fell ill and had to choose between getting medicine or groceries. I am the one in eight Americans who struggle with hunger. People you pass by every day but never knew were hungry. I am hunger in America. Hunger can be hard to recognize. Learn why at IamHungerInAmerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America, 200 Food Bank Strong, and the Ad Council. The mission of Paralyzed Veterans of America is clear. Accessibility. Veterans who have served and sacrificed the best of themselves deserve access to the best our country has to offer. Access to meaningful employment. Access to the veterans' benefits they've earned. Accessible homes and vehicles. And access to every part of their communities. With PVA staff working inside VA hospitals, 
No other veterans organization has provided more real-time, ongoing support for paralyzed veterans and their families. PVA is proud to serve veterans across all branches, all generations, and all conflicts. Our nation's heroes fought for your independence. Join PVA in fighting for theirs at pva.org. Welcome back to the Alan Nathan Show. I'm your guest host today, John Hayward. Human trafficking is a growing problem in cities across the United States, and particularly in the border states. And that is a sad state of affairs for a country that is dedicated to eradicating slavery in all of its forms. And that is what we're talking about here, various forms of human bondage. Here with us to discuss the situation is Andy Berger, founder of Voices Against Trafficking and Beulah's Place, which helps victimize teens who have been left on the streets. Welcome to the Alan Nathan Show. Well, thank you so much, John. Appreciate being on. This has long been one of my problems with the state of affairs on the border. We are told that it would be inhumane to close the border off, and yet I look at what the open borders are doing to human trafficking problems, and it is the worst inhumanity I can imagine. People are being exploited in countless different ways, some of them quite violent and savage, all as a result of the fact that we have no security, and it's a profitable industry to smuggle people into the United States and then use them in various ways. It absolutely is. And when you have just in fiscal year 2022, we know that over 2.3 million uh, border entries happened. And who's taking care of all, all the kids that come across? Who's checking to see who they're re- related to or not? They just can't. We don't have enough protection. We don't have enough control over there. And so it makes it very easy for cartels, coyotes, anybody who wants to buy a child or use a child in any way to get one. And the ones that aren't snatched up right away, where do they go? Especially if they don't know the language, how do they get help? And as you you mentioned, you know, just the impact on communities in the Southwest area, that many people is a huge number to suddenly flow into the country and then have communities along that way support it. It's just not right. It's impossible and it's not helping. And we are seeing a rise in human trafficking as a result. It often seems like, as we discuss this topic, the last people that anybody in the press wants to listen to are the border agents who know what's going on. But when they do get to weigh in, they talk often about how common trafficking situations are and how with the cartels that, that manage uh, the coyote operations, they, it's common knowledge that all you got to do is buy a kid. You shell out some money, they find a kid, they give them to you, and you just walk across the border and claim it's your kid. And you know, it's, it's well known that this is one of the ways you get in. Absolutely. And and people say, oh, well, I'm sure parents are just hoping their kids have a better chance in America. Well, that's not really the case. Oftentimes, uh, the parents may owe a debt to the cartels or to a coyote. It, there's all kinds of reasons. But you're right. At the very end of the day, you get a kid, you take them over, and you can do whatever you want with them. Two years ago, roughly, the average amount for a child at the border was about $3,200. You could buy them and do whatever you want with them. How sad that's is just- that? It's just amazing that this is such an open secret, and it's just not part of the discussion. It's not a fact that our media really wants us to dwell upon. And also, human trafficking is a problem. It always seems to get worse in tandem with drugs. And as the drug situation gets worse on the streets, you find more and more stories of people being abused and trafficked in connection with the drug trade or simply to get the drugs that they crave. Absolutely. One of my nieces had that same experience. I went with a girlfriend, you know, they're in their late 20s, right? So they're they're aware, but went to their favorite restaurant, favorite bar uh, to celebrate a birthday. And uh, they both ended up being drugged. Um, and one of them escaped. The other one was violated and made her way back home. But, you know, they're like, we didn't see anything different. It was the same bartender, the same restaurant that we've always gone to when we have celebrations, you know, and it's just something as as it doesn't sound like a big deal, but it is a big deal. We have to be more aware. But you're right. The drugs, the fentanyl, when you're incapacitated, you have no control over what someone else will do to you. 
And this is not an easy crime to investigate or prosecute, is it? Because very often the victims are frightened to speak up or, or yeah. under coercion or, or on drugs. And then it can be difficult to spot the indicators that trafficking is taking place. And I've, I've seen one of the comments that comes out of California, for instance, is that the laws on the street in some parts of California are now so lax that you, you can just get away with anything. That The things that used to flag the police and say, wait a minute, that, that person might be under duress, they can't even tell anymore. Absolutely. When you lower the age to 14 for consent, I mean, a 14 year old can't drive. They can't they can't legally drink. They can't they can't vote. But yet somehow they're supposed to be able to make a determination that somebody who's 24, you know, that those activities sexually or otherwise are OK. And that's ridiculous because the, as a survivor myself, a child sex trafficking victim for 17 years by family members, I know that things are what they seem. And you're right. Part of the problem is reporting. Who would want to go and tell their mom, their dad, their friends that, oh, guess what happened to me last night? My boyfriend had a party, invited me over there, and there were like 10 other guys, and he sold me all night. No one's going to report that unless they have extreme courage, like some of the, one of the kids, uh, kids one of the 14-year-olds in the Epstein case. She tried to tell people, but no one would listen. And I notice uh, the last couple of years, we've had these stories of people who have been trafficked or abducted and nobody noticed for years on end, possibly partially, I guess, as a result of the fact that we don't really have that sense of community anymore. People don't want to get involved. You don't want to say anything. If you see something that's a little unusual, people don't know each other as well. And so you have some of these, these crimes being perpetrated in broad daylight with no one saying a word for years on end. Absolutely. That, that's what happened in my case and in cases, uh, all the kids that we've rescued uh, over the years. But your point is very well taken. We don't have community anymore. Everyone is self-oriented uh, or they're just falling prey to whatever agenda is out there. We're not fighting anymore as a country, uh, John. We're not standing up saying enough. This, this needs to end because when you destroy the children, you destroy our future. When you destroy futures, you destroy communities. And yes, people don't notice because a lot of times, oh, it's just a teenager. They're rebellious. They're running away. You know, don't worry about it. And that's not true. That's not always true. Maybe 10% of the time. But the other percent, the kids we rescued were running away from things that were worse than being on the streets. If you could get the attention of legislators or state officials, what would you tell them we need to do to start turning this around? What are the most important reforms to implement? Well, at the very minimum, have discussions regularly. It should be on the top of everyone's agenda, whether it's staff meetings or on the floor. We've been on Capitol Hill speaking to people before in the past, uh, to members of Congress. We have a few that, that partner with us, but not enough. So, number one, have the conversations. If you don't know what to say, call Voices Against Trafficking or another group. Number two, enforce the laws that are already on the books. Okay, go after the traffickers and the predators. When you get them, lock them up. Okay, with no early release, no perks. It is not inhumane when someone else has already destroyed one or more lives uh, because of their depravity and their greed. And then the third thing is do your job. Represent the people who want their children to be safe. Represent the people who put you in office and do your job to make communities safe and not just for the children, but for the families involved. Ah, sad to say, though, it seems like protecting children is no longer something we all really agree on. It's, it's like we have different definitions of what that means now. And a lot of things are happening to children in, in a lot of ways that would have seemed just appalling and horrifying to a generation ago. And now it's just accepted as government policy. I really do hope we can start turning that around. Andy Berger, founder of Voices Against Trafficking and Beulah's Place. Thank you very much for joining us. I'm John Hayward, your guest host today, sitting in for Alan. Thank you very much for joining us on this hour of The Alan Nathan Show. The opinions you hear on the Main Street Radio Network are those of the host, callers, and guests, and not necessarily those of the station, Main Street Radio Network, its management, or advertisers. The information on the Main Street Radio Network does not constitute a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any product or securities. So please, consult a professional before investing. If you have any questions or comments about Main Street Radio Network, contact us at 703-719-0433 or at our website, MainStreetRadioNetwork.com.